Welcome to another edition of the Work Life Hub podcast. To find out more and to listen to other episodes, please go to www.worklifehub.eu. Welcome everyone to the next episode of our Work Life Hub podcast. And I'm very super excited to be joining Ayelet Barron. And she's joining us from San Francisco via Skype. Hello. Hi there. I'm very excited because I've never spoken to a futurist before. So <laughs> would you mind explaining to us a little bit what this is that you're doing? And also, um, I've read that you're a chief instigator. And I've heard in one of your talks that actually that's the one you prefer to to disrupt and, and get people's juices flowing around change and transformation. So how did you become a futurist? Well, I think, I think I've been doing it in a big part of my career. Um, I started working in market research and also doing my PhD studies. I did a lot of work around strategy and projecting the future. So I actually can claim some academic <laughs> credentials as part of it. <laughs> Um, but then when I fired myself from corporate America, um, three years ago, I really looked at what I was passionate about and what I was really passionate about is helping organizations transform and not in a very transactional way, but really seeing where the future is going and where we need to take business. It, it was interesting. I was meeting with a futurist yesterday from Australia and, uh, he's been doing it a lot longer than I have and, it seems like many of us futurists are people that really want to help organizations prepare for the future and, and show them what's coming because the change is really exciting. Um, the chief instigator title is a fun one because I think that once you can show where we're headed to really think strategically about what needs to change and not just keep it putting band-aids on wounds, but looking mm -hmm. at, at holistically at what's broken. Many of our systems, whether it's business, education, politics, many of the systems today around the world are broken. And I mm -hmm. think people are just running to have quick solutions and quick fixes. So the chief instigator title is really about having in-depth conversations, understanding a leader's culture, you know, because it's not about best practices. It's really understanding what are you trying to do in the world? Who are you? And then coming up with the best um, strategy to meet that. Before I, we go a little bit more into detail about some of the predictions and some of the trends and how organizations could act upon them, um, I also wonder, do you encounter a lot of resistance to change? Do you encounter a lot of skepticism or were people trying to hold on to the business as usual? Um, absolutely. I mean, I, I, you know, I was in corporate America for 13 years and I was lucky enough to work globally and mostly, you know, in emerging markets in Asia and, and outside of the U.S. And I actually found it really inspiring to see um, where places in the world where, you know, there wasn't legacy, where people can adapt to change and it made sense. And of course, people are going to resist because, you know, change is anytime your expectations are disrupted. Mm. So anytime something is different, that's when a change occurs. And 
in an organizational framework, what we don't spend enough time is really understanding for the different people within organizations, whether they see that as a big disruption of their change or a small disruption of their change. And the resistance is coming. Um, a lot of it is coming from the top. You know, one of, one of the things that is happening is that we have a lot of people running large organizations in the world who are maybe 10 years from retirement and they want to leave um, with things the same way. And many of the changes are going to cause people to, to change. I mean, in the future, we're not going to retire, actually. No. We, could talk, yeah. we can talk a bit about it later. So, you know, there's a ton of resistance coming from a lot of places. But when the change makes sense, people adopt. It's like when you ask people, do you use texting and SMS? Most people will raise their hand and say yes. And you ask them, like, what training did you get? Mm. And, they, and they, they laugh about it because we use what's valuable. And I think organizational change management is part of a patriarchal uh, 20th century practice that we have. And so how we approach it needs to change as well. Mm. Now, you write quite a lot about what are these big uh, trends that are pushing organizations to at least open their minds to the possibility of adapting and changing. And one of them that you wrote in this article, Life Working in Abundance in the 21st Century, which we will put the link to on the blog article accompanying this podcast, you, you analyze what it means for the workforce and especially middle management now, the millennials. Can you explain a little bit these differences between the, this millennial generation and the Gen X and the previous generations, the baby boomers? What is it, this mentality change? Sure. Um, I mean, I'm excited about it. Uh, Jamie Anderson and I have done a lot of research and we've got an article coming out in June in the London School Business Review on life working, which is a big shift from the 20th century scarcity model of life work balance. And what has happened is this is the first time in the history of work that we have five generations working side by side. And I think there's been a little bit of Actually, there's been a lot of hype around the millennials, and I'll talk more about it. Mm. But the, shift, the shifts that are happening are happening in many generations, not just the millennials. And so what happened is um, in, the, in the 20th century, we were told that we were two people. We were told there was a personal self, and we were told there was a professional self. And we were told that we couldn't bring our personal self to work. You know, we had to be very professional, and, and that was the self. And so we created this whole myth around work-life balance where, you know, we had to somehow balance our work and our life because we were two people. What's happening today, we live in the 21st century um, and companies are still stuck in that scarcity fear competition model where, you know, it's not okay to show up as who you are. But what's happening with the demographics is the younger generation is saying, enough of that. I'm one person and I want to show up at work as who I am. I don't want to, I don't have this dichotomy of two people. I don't believe in that. Mm -hmm. And they're bringing in a whole bunch of new practices into the workplace. But one of it is, is really about knowing who you are and what you bring in and not seeing it in a different way. The other big trend that's happening is that in the U.S. Um, by 2020, 50% of the, of the working population is going to be free agents or contingent or working for themselves. And if you look at the reasons why people are opting out of working for companies, it's kind of um, interesting because it's about being able to be who yourself and to really be able to do your life's work 
And I think that companies could really benefit from a lot of the research that's coming out on why people leaving uh, are leaving their corporate jobs and be able to offer it inside of companies. And the big shift that we're seeing is that we need to create more human-centered, people-centered organizations. And to do that, life working becomes more important. Imagine living in a world where instead of we ask children, what do you want to be when you grow up? Imagine if we ask children, who are you? What do you love to do? And then figure out what the work piece of it. Mm -hmm. And what Jamie and I have done a lot of research on, and we actually share our own stories um, in the article that's coming out, is you know why we chose uh, a life of life working instead of figuring out how to balance work life because we know that's just not possible. Mm. The future and the present is about how does work fit into our life. And if more people in the world did what they were passionate about and didn't have to say, oh, well, I've got this startup on the side, right? But then yeah. we, could fig- we could figure out that model and we could figure out how large companies can collaborate more effectively. Um, one of my clients and I just created a life-working collaboration framework that can be used for people's life, but it could also be used for your next organizational design, really looking at how do you, how do you get people to really be able to do the work they're passionate about and when that happens, people experience your culture and the profits come. So that's kind of where we're headed. But I think it's not just the millennials. We're having a big shift with people in their 40s, 50s, and 60s reaching career success and going, now what? Mm. And I think this goes also, it links, I mean, with a number of things. But one of the things you're also talking about is the shifting to a project-based work from a role based or you know the what is your what is says on your business card and to more project based and more collaboration and and I guess if you have free agents or self-employed then it's much easier also to coordinate with them if it's on a project and not uh, outsourcing HR let's say or outsourcing marketing. Absolutely Um, you know the challenge is going to be for the large organizations is they're not nimble enough Mm-hmm. to be to be able to be bring in the right people right now because you know their legal practices or the HR practices are really antiquated you know for for somebody to get a master service agreement they have to have x millions of dollars in revenue and x employees and that's not where the world is going so you know companies are so focused right now about attracting and retaining the best talent And, you know, so often they don't know, like, the talent they have within their organization, let alone the talent outside. And I just was an innovator in residence this past year with a large pharmaceutical company where um, in in their R&D innovation management uh, practice, and it was really fascinating because we we proved it, we lived it. 60% of the folks were, um, were not full-time, only 40% were full-time, and they could bring in the right expertise at the right time to get the work done. And that was like a true collaboration um, component. I mean, what's going to become much more important in the future is not the old world networking, but who is in your connected network? How can you get recommendations of people who can solve things? Because it's going to be about the projects are going to be about the key business issues, both problems and opportunities that companies are going to need to drive. And 
And, you know, if there are five of them, you have to find five great leaders in your company to lead those. And then you've got to find the best people in the organization, not as a, not as a tiger team or as a special project, but as real work. Mm-hmm. And, and it doesn't matter anymore if you're in marketing on sales. It matters about how are you going to solve that problem or how are you going to address that opportunity. Connected to this, I find it also so interesting that when companies are hiring, they're looking through usually, I guess, quite similar CVs because they have the person specifications. So they have to also look at and they want to look at what what else has this person done apart from being a top student and work experience. So they look at um, civic engagement, they look at volunteering experience or music or any other things that makes this person interesting and stand out so they can hire these interesting, uh, motivated, talented people. But once they're inside, then please forget about all of your passion and all of your things aside and just mold you into now the perfect worker. <laughs> yeah, and, and what what is that perfect worker? <laughs> right I mean it's an industrialized 20th century picture and that's why the the change to life working is going to happen from the individual not so much from the organizations it's and organizations are going to need to know how to respond to this because they're not going to go okay let's look at life work I mean um, you know what happens in many organizations is you spend so much money hiring recruiting the best talent, and then you you bring it in yeah. and you treat them like like they're stupid, right? You don't communicate mm-hmm. to them, you don't give them the information, you don't get them up to speed, you tell them that they're in charge of their own career, you don't give them the tools to to do the work. And you know, there's some organizations that do an amazing job of this. Don't get me wrong. There are some organizations that really know and are creating human centered um, platforms out there that do a phenomenal job, but. In many of the companies, um, you know, I just I just did uh, three keynote talks last week, and what I do is I make them interactive, so they're not just about talking; they're about getting and solving problems and finding out what the issues are. And everywhere I go, the issues become the same, and the solutions are so simple. But we don't invest in really listening because we have this silly thing called the annual employee survey, which I think five years from now is going to go away because people want to have conversations. You know, everybody talks about the millennials and says, oh my God, they want so, so much feedback. They want, um, they're so high maintenance, but in, (laughs) in, in truth, what they want is they want to have a conversations, you know, 20th century behavior is having meetings and one way communication and 21st century um, where we have collaboration and co-creation, it's about having dialogue and two-way conversations. And what people are seeking is that ability to be heard. And the big change that we're going to see is um, people care more about the world today, especially the younger people. And they're going to ask questions because they're already asking questions around, you know, where do you source your food? Where do you source your supplies? You know, I want to make a difference. I know a company that just started a program where when people do a great job on their project, they're they're given points and they accumulate points that they can then go use in the community to do work um, in the community. So Mm -hmm. companies are starting to tie it and see the connection. And so there are companies that, you know, just treat you as another, you know, piece of furniture uh, because on the, on financially, if you look at our, our, at our metrics, 
furniture, computers, technology, that's all assets on the yeah. spreadsheet. People are still a liability when it comes to our financials and that's how we treat them. Yes, it's it's a lot of the moving away from just tokenistic m teamwork where in any case the boss will have the final say or it's really about uh, finding, seeing eye to eye or eye level um, that everybody is then considered more or less equal. And do you find, because you I, I also heard you speak about the other one of the other trends of uh, women entering uh, the workforce but also women entering more and more management and senior management how do you see the impact of of women's is it because women have a different style or different values or they like to do things differently how does this impact the organizations sure so i'm going to answer your first question first which is i think the biggest thing that's missing today is shared purpose. Mm. We've kind of gotten lost with the vision and the mission and the culture, you know, and it's not enough to have it on a PowerPoint slide or on your website. People need to experience the culture. They need to understand how the vision um, will be executed based on their job. And what we don't have enough with in organizations, and nobody's talking about this, is the ability to have a simple shared purpose where we know how to come together. And then The other piece of it is we don't have shared goals. And so part of shared purpose is we talk a lot about team, but most of the performance indicators and most of how we, we um, do it, and some people do it superficially with the team, but we don't have team goals and we need to have more shared purpose and shared goals. So that's kind of the, the first part of it. The second part of it is there is increasing research about how effective your team is with women mm. um, because women bring a different perspective to the table which is great because we need a mixture of everything yeah you know i mean doing work in emerging markets i learned so much you know working in africa about the tribes and and how to work differently and the mindsets and so we need we need to stop thinking about diversity as as just in a in a in a developed world kind of way mm. you know because we need the diverse opinions of all people um to come in and to be able to influence it and it's not like you know you need to turn one thing on and one turn off it's a it's a combination of it and i think the companies that really get it um are the ones that are bringing more women into the workplace and looking at it i mean right now One of the challenges is, especially, you know, I come from the high-tech industry and many women are opting out because we, we show up at the top and we get these great positions and we go, okay, I'm successful, now what? Yeah. And companies really need to adapt to, to what we, we bring because this whole concept of the glass ceiling, it's not even, you know, it's, it's still a 20th century kind of thing because We're looking for more purpose and for more to, to do. And what you find is that with the contingent workforce, women are far more successful as entrepreneurs than their male counterparts. Mm. And so how do you bring that into corporate America? I mean, what I would like to see is less people leaving because from an economic perspective, we need people working in large organizations. And for organizations to wake up, And to really think about it, you know, a, a really innovative program that organizations can start is there are many women who are in their 40s and 50s who have spent 
their life so far raising their children, which I think is a really important job. And they decided that that's what they're going to do. The companies that get it are going to figure out how to bring them back to work because many of these women feel like they've been out. And they have law degrees. They have accounting degrees. You know, they just need some somebody to believe in them and bring them in. And we're going to have a deficit of 40 million workers by 2025 in the developed world and a surplus of a billion workers in the developing world. And this is the time to really think about how do you bring the best people to your company and what new programs can you offer? You know, this is the change part. This is the instigator part, mm-hmm. you know, that, that might not exist today where in your local community you can make a huge difference because you know what? That's where your customers are. And so, you know, to think about it, because that's where the shared purpose is. You know, on my shared purpose when I speak, I always show a visual and a photo of a band. And it's this band performing and everybody in the audience is like really super excited. And I go, do you think their customers are happy? (laughs) You know? (laughs) I mean, so many very, very provocative and very interesting um, things in there, um, what you just said. One of the things I just had a quick thought, how do you see this? Are, because we always think about, you know, small startups in someone's garage, you know, they're going to be able to jump on these trends and harness these new opportunities. But then sometimes I also think that large corporations may have the the business know-how and and the infrastructure to enable, for example, women to return there. Um, so how, how do you see it? Is there uh, one better than the other, large or small corporations to adapt to this? Is it just a question of the personality of the leader? Um, how do they react, react to these changes? It's all about leadership. So mm. it's all about leadership. It's, you know, there's, again, there's no cookie cutter. There's no best practice. It's about really knowing what you're trying to do, and it's all about conscious leaders and a cultural mindset to do it. So it can happen in large organizations if you have leaders willing to prototype and willing to do something. You know, there have been many large organizations that have had startups inside of them that have been able to do this. I mean, the problem with large organizations is is they get so large that they're fighting inside themselves, right? They have... Mm the capacity and the resources to say, oh, no, this is my domain. Oh, no, this is my domain. And then, like, sit there when they're not realizing (laughs) that the opportunity is outside. Startups don't have that luxury. You know, everybody has to wear multiple hats and, and, and just roll up their sleeves and do the work. So, again, if you can get the cultural mindset with the right leader, you know, I recently saw an interview, I can't remember with who it was, but it was, uh, somebody in the consulting industry, and he said that he had the CEO call him and say to him that, you know, things are a mess right now, and, you know, he asked the CEO, well, what's going on? And he said, you know, we've got like about 56 projects going on right now, and we could really use your help to come in and and help through it. And the guy said to him, he's worked with a company before, he said, when you get down to six projects, give me a call, because you only have six leaders who can actually make it happen. And so the simplifying process and really understanding the leaders that you have that can implement the change is really important. And this is to your previous questions about resistance. If the organization is not ready for it, I've seen it happen over and over where these little startups incubate within a large company 
and then the people at the top really weren't paying attention and weren't being involved. And it's no fault of the people running the startup. And then they just squash it. And, mm. and they move back 10 years because of it, because it's too threatening. And so you need the leaders who can really understand where we're going in the future. Because, you know, to, to your point earlier, industries are very 20th century. You know, if you look at it, if you look at the, a map of health and wellness today, you'll have like Apple come in or Disney come in or Nike come in, right? And, and so what is an industry? What, what, where, why are we looking at sectors when the opportunities are not in the bell curve? The bell curve is 20th century. The opportunities are on the edge. They're, mm. they're finding the people who resonate with what you create. In today's world, if you try to create something for everyone, you're going to fail. And the companies that understand it, whether they're large or medium or startups, really have to think about where things are moving and what's the next thing that is truly innovative and disruptive that they could bring in. Because I could tell you this much, I never thought that I, I would be able to, to watch uh, original content from a company like Netflix. And now it's winning Emmys for original yeah. content. And other companies have gone away by the way, wayside, you know. So if you fall in love, like Kodak did, right? Kodak yes. fell in love with what they were doing. And Kodak no longer exists. And, yeah. and so we really need to think, you know, innovation isn't like a cool, fun thing. It's about where are the people and how do we draw them? And we need to think about the fact that consumers now have more access to technology than we used to get in work. And, and to really understand employees, we need to understand the new consumer because the new consumer has a voice and the old employee doesn't have a voice. Yes, and it's so easy to have access to virtually free resources. You can have a free cloud. You can have a lot of free or very cheap software to do quite sophisticated things. Um, so if talented people want to get their hands dirty, even if it may not be their department or their domain, it, it really takes a courageous risk-taking leader to say, okay, now why don't you do it and incubate, as you say, a kind of a little startup, even within a larger organization. We, I mean, we in, here at the Work-Life Hub, we, our mantra is that, you know, there's no one size fits all. Everybody has to roll up their sleeves and find their own individual solutions for their own circumstance, their own sector, their own people, their own uh, cultural, historical um, context. So it's, it's, as you said, it's no longer one company just, oh, we're going to acquire this software and it's going to roll out across the company and make everything so much better and so much innovative. And I think that maybe there is also a bit this disconnect from what even I used to learn, you know, in business school and what then now managers are required to do about the risk taking, about fostering innovation and, and talent. Uh, do you see also that maybe some of the business education needs to develop or people will just learn it on the job? Oh, big time. I mean, one of the challenges we have today with the millennials not all of them, but some coming out of school is, is nobody's teaching them like the common sense of business. And mm -hmm. so, you know, we're not helping by not, you know, I mean, again, we're, we're so stuck in, into the sectors and defining it to an un, infinite 
area, you know, and I believe you need it in medicine and in certain disciplines. But when it comes to business, really understanding, I mean, it was interesting. Somebody, I met this CEO recently and he was like, my HR person is really trying to get certified in education. And I was like, that's interesting. Why? And he says, well, she comes from a very diverse background and she feels like, you know, compared to other HR people, she doesn't have the certifications. And I just asked him one question. I said, does she understand your business? And he said, no. I said, well, before she goes out and gets HR certifications, let her go shadow some people in the business and let her really understand the business of what you do <laughs> before, yeah. before you start with all this crazy HR certification. And I just don't think we spend enough time that we've created so much complexity that when you ask people like, what is it that your company do does? You know, because it's like try to ask somebody some once like, who are you? <laughs> um, and and it's so interesting to hear. You know, I was I was speaking at a conference last week, and at the dinner um, before that, I I turned to someone and I said, "What's your story?" And because mm. I'm just curious, I'm I'm just I just love hearing people's story. And his entire story, his entire narrative was about business. There was nothing in it about mm. who he is. And so many of us define ourselves that way. And to your question about middle managers as well, I think, I, you know, usually after I do um, a, a talk about the future of work, and I, I, I can't believe it, I did a two-hour keynote recently where nobody left the room, which I found really kind of <laughs> interesting. Um, you know, people come up to me afterwards and the first question they ask me is like, you don't talk a lot about this, but like, what about the robots? You know, what about, the, <laughs> what about these machines? And I said, yeah, they're coming. But if you listen to what I'm talking about is if we create a human centered organization and a people centered organization where we focus on life working and we focus on shared purpose and conscious leadership and collaboration and co-creation, then we will be control of the robots. And quite frankly, right now, we have all these robots going to work every day and, and managers that are making decisions and people that are paralyzed. And, and we already have a human robot problem that when, if we don't fix it when the machines come, it's going to be really, really bad because right now in many organizations, you know, why do people talk about TGIF, thank goodness it's Friday or you know, all this stuff. If you're not loving what you're doing, if you're not jumping out of bed and this is your life, you know, this is, this is it. This is the story you have. And, yeah. and you get, you get the canvas to paint it. And if we don't have the voice inside, inside of organizations to help them move forward, then we are becoming robots. Um, well, Ayelet, I think that I could listen to you for three hours and not leave the room. <laughs> I mean, it's such fascinating things. And, and I think you have this fantastic ability to really um, show things from a different angle um, and also just put together some of the puzzle pieces that, that are here and there. But when, when you put them together, it's like, ah, yeah, it really makes sense. And before when we were just talking about millennials i was just thinking whether the you know the casual friday whether maybe that was already something creeping in of people thinking you know why am i wearing this costume you know this businessman costume every day i just want to hang out in my jeans and jumper and then just finally on friday i can come as i am 
without the you know peeling off the 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 makeup um maybe because we i mean we could i think we could talk for hours here we always ask the same question the last question on our podcast is always the same so i also would like to ask you if uh, if you could give um, a ceo one advice what he or she could start with or do immediately or have the courage to do what would that be it would be build a 21st century organization leave the mindset of scarcity fear behind and competition behind there's enough there's enough in the world for everybody and i don't mean financially i mean there's an abundance of possibilities and opportunities of what we can create and what we can collaborate on and if we start changing our mindset to think about what's possible and i have to tell you i've done this i've built strategies with leaders looking at what's abundant in your world and when we started looking about what's abundant from a business perspective in their world we built these strategies that were much more human centered and again we went from purpose to culture to experience to profits you know we have to remember that at the heart of everything is the human is the person and you know really look at what metrics you have and what behaviors you have and what the mindset is is what people are getting up with are they thinking about oh how could i take market share away from my competition which is very 20th century mm-hmm. or are they thinking what new market what new service what new product what new partnership can i create in the world and do i have the ability to do it or am i you know am i stopped from doing it so that would be my advice to to a ceo or any leader out there because quite frankly we have the biggest crisis ever in leadership and my business partner tim mcdonald and i are trying to create a movement on around reimagining leadership in the world and it's about really um shifting to life working how does work fit into your life and how do we become whole people where we love what we do and not in a goofy way but we know that it's about creating because we're all art- artists creators and makers oh it's totally not goofy Um, <laughs> and by the way, we, we, we already signed up, so let, let me know okay. where, where I can sign up to this, this movement. Um, <laughs> before we say goodbye, do you want to just maybe recall some of the websites where people can find you? Sure. Um, my new website is coming out, um, ilabaron.com. Do I need to spell it because it's well, my... no? We will we will put it we will put it on yeah. on the blog okay. so people can just go and, so... and click the link. It's interesting that you inverted the work life to life work. Yeah. It's it's um it's a total paradigm shift I guess on the whole, you know, what comes first and yeah. what should what should come first. I think life comes first. Yes, I do too. <laughs> <laughs> so, thank you very much. I oh, it was such... such a great pleasure, a really great conversation. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs>